Well, just over a week ago, I was at the Methodist Conference, which is the governing body of the Methodist Church in Britain. It meets annually, and it discusses work that affects the life of the church, also the life of our nation and the world, too. And this year, we met for a week in Birmingham, which was why I wasn't here a few weeks ago. And I was a representative from the London district, and our superintendent, Dr. Atkins, was the general secretary of the Methodist Church before he came to this appointment, and was the secretary to that conference that discusses all this business. Uh, Although now he's finished that job, he was here and I was there. And what I'd like to do this morning is to share a few reflections following this year's event, uh, because I found it a good conference. It was full of joys, but also sorrows as well. It was a time of celebration, but it was also a time of challenge. And I hope by sharing these things, I'll bring you up to date with some of the things that are going on in the life of the Methodist Church, but also share a reflection for us to go away and to pray about First of all, some good news. Our chair of the London Methodist District, or one of them, uh, Michaela Youngson, who's also the chair of trustees of this building, was voted the president-designate of the Methodist Church, and our former Synod Secretary, Barla, became the vice president. It was a bit of a London takeover, to be honest, but we're really glad that they will be serving, and I encourage you to pray for them, because it's a, a great honor to do that. We also inducted our president, the Reverend Lorraine Meller, who's a presbyter, and our vice president, Jill Baker, who's a layperson. Many of you will know Jill from our Daffodil Days. She was the president of Methodist Women in Britain, and so it's good to see someone that we know well who's our vice president, and Lorraine Meller is known to many too. And they both gave us inspiring addresses for the Methodist people, and they'll be visiting us in September The presidential address from Lorraine Meller was asking the question, how are we disturbing the present in our churches today? And she asked some tough questions, sharing her concerns for the current state of the church and her vision for a church that takes radical risks to change its culture in the future. And then we had our vice president, Jill Baker, who shared from her personal experience and reflected on the need for both laughter and lament in the church. And she shared humorous stories, but also a tragedy in her own life. And it was very, very moving. And I encourage you to look at both of these addresses. They're online at methodist.org.com. Uh, methodist.org.uk, please take time to read them. They are really important addresses. So what else did we talk about? Well, apparently, uh, we looked at the draft ministerial code of conduct, which is going to be given for the connection to think about. Now, I'm not so keen on you reading this one. Uh, It might mean I've got to behave myself, but actually it was a very important document. They also talked about a program of supervision for ordained ministers, one-to-one supervision to actually make sure that we are supported but also stretching us as well. And that's going to be the first of its kind for a UK denomination in uh, this country um, of how we can supervise those who lead us. We also received new 
presbyters and deacons in uh, an ordination services. Uh, first of all, received into full connection, and then uh, seven ordination services took place around Birmingham. My reflection on that, it was great to see, but I was saddened in one respect that there weren't many younger people who were being ordained. I was ordained when I was 28, and people are being ordained much older. And we need to ask ourselves questions about whether we are nurturing, encouraging our younger people. But that's one thing that I came back saddened about, but also the joy that there are ordinations. We had some excellent worship together, some of the classic Methodist hymns that we sung with great gusto, but also we sung a lot of new songs that are in Singing the Faith. In fact, we counted up, we sung about 10% of the whole of the new Singing the Faith uh, book, which is quite a, a, a thing to do over a week. There's a lot of hymns in that book. The conference discussed proposals which could make the ministries of the Methodist Church and the Church of England interchangeable. And there's a lot of thinking and discussion to be done about that. And the Anglicans will be voting first on it this time. Last time it was the Methodists voted first for it, and then the Method Anglicans turned it down. So we've let them go first this time. But that's we need to pray about whether this is the right thing for us as a church. The conference noted that significant progress has been made on the implementing the recommending recommendations of the 2015 past cases review about non-recent abuse in the church. And one of the good things, although that was tragic all the news when it was broken, was there's been a real change of culture in the church for the good. Thankfully, that's becoming apparent taking these sort of issues that we hear about very seriously. We also talked about the gift of connectionalism. That's a, a specialist Methodist term spelt with an X rather than uh, the way we normally spell connectional. And it talked about connectionalism in the 21st century, the importance of us being an interdependent and di uh, diverse church. And we upheld the fundamental uh, values of connectionalism and how it's part of our identity of Methodists, of us helping each other, the strong helping the weak, and us pooling together our resources. We also had a resolution about confessing the sin of racism in the church in the past and how we're going to work to achieve greater equality, diversity, and inclusion in the church. We had the Methodist youth president, who was very refreshing, Tim Annan, who told the conference about the continuing growth of Three Generates. That's the church's annual gathering for young people. And uh, it gathers young people from the age of 8 to 23. And it's moved to a new venue because they've outgrown the old venue. And they've now got 900 young leaders coming together. Very encouraging to hear about that piece of work. The conference called for a disinvestment by the church of fossil fuel companies to align ourselves with the Paris Agreement in terms of our investments. We talked about the deteriorating situation uh, with regards to religious freedom in Sri Lanka. And I could go on listing subjects that we got to grips with as a church. 
But today, I want to share with you what I found to be the greatest challenge. And some of you will have heard about it. But the Methodist Church in Britain is in the 106th year of consecutive decline. The number of British Methodist members is now below 200,000. It's 188,000. Though we are reaching far more people than that every week through our churches and our organizations, committed members are in decline. Over half of our churches failed to make any new members at all. We find that hard when we've just welcomed 23 new members and are going to be welcoming more in the future. But that's the reality within wider Methodism. For every four new members we make, ten have died, hence the decline. We are doing a good job of keeping members, but not making new members. Here in London, we buck the trend. Methodism is very healthy in London, but we must never take that for granted. And that's one of the challenges I want to bring to you today, because often we do take it for granted in this church. There's no reason why this church would not follow the rest of the trend unless God is at work in our midst, and I believe he is. Doug Swanee, the Connectional Secretary, presented a report that talked about this news as being absolutely heartbreaking. While it does make challenging reading, he said, it's important to remember that the membership figures alone don't tell the whole story. Across the country, thousands of Methodist communities are impacting and changing the lives of hundreds and thousands of people every week in a variety of ways. But actually, we should be grieving the fact that our church is in decline, God's church. Falling membership, too many churches, not enough ministers to fill the pulpits. One of my churches that I was at before I came here, a significant Methodist church, I would never, ever have believed there weren't enough ministers to go there. They're without a minister for a year. It's a big, growing church. We should never take for granted the ministry that we have with less ministers and many burning out at the same time. And you can easily become depressed about these figures. And I'm sorry if it's coming across that way, but I want us to face the reality. And we can point the finger. We can blame people, we can blame other people, we can blame ministers, we can blame churches, or we can blame God. And it's not unusual for the church when going through a difficult time to complain. Did you count how many times in our Old Testament reading the word grumbling came up? Have a look at it again. (laughs) We cry out in despair, wondering what God's doing. And if we remember Moses' experience with God's people... It was in different circumstances, but we can learn lessons. And I want us to look at this passage today. Over a thousand years after Abraham, the Jews were living as slaves in Egypt. Their leader was the prophet Moses. And he led the people out of captivity through the Dead Sea. 
sorry, the Red Sea. But you'll know that that wasn't an easy journey. Before crossing the Red Sea, the people of God complained because they were being pursued by their enemies. There was no way forward because the sea was in front of them. And they said to Moses, it would have been better to serve with the Egyptians rather than die in the wilderness. But God delivered them. And it's remembered by Jews every year in the feast of the Passover. Eventually, they not only escaped Egypt, but the Lord led them on to the Holy Land, to the land that was promised to them. But it didn't happen in an instant. It wasn't easy. There was lots of grumbling along the way. But just three days after the sea parted, they were delivered from their enemies They walked onto dry ground, they got to the other side, and what happens? You think they'd be rejoicing, but they complained. What shall we drink, they said. In response, Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and he was shown a piece of wood, and he threw it into some stagnant water, and it became clean, sweet drinking water. Sorted, you'd think, or were they? You'd think they'd be rejoicing. But a month later, they complain a third time. Misremembering what it was like in Egypt, we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted when we were in Egypt. They forgot how they were complaining when they were actually there. But that's not how it was. Short memories, and it happens to us all. And now they were hungry, they were angry, they were blaming Moses. Should they go back to Babylon and exile, or should they push on to the promised land and for Jerusalem? And in response to their complaining, God gives them food, given so that they shall know that I am the Lord, your God. And I was inspired to look more closely at this passage because after we'd heard these statistics, our vice president led a communion address. And it was in that address, just before we had communion, that she spoke of God promising heavenly food in a wild place. And as she spoke and drew out one or two thoughts, my heart started to to beat very, very fast. Remembering how at a time of grumbling and a time of not knowing what God was doing, quail meat was given in the evening and bread was given in the morning. The bread of heaven. And this bread would be sufficient for every day. Food for the morning, food for the evening. And they must simply trust God to provide more bread for tomorrow. And we can almost hear the frustration of Moses' voice if you read through that passage. I'm sure he said, don't blame me that he hasn't given you enough to store up. Blame God. This is how it's going to be. But there's something very important in this story. And this is what I came away with and I want to share it with you. That as the people of God today, we must be totally dependent on God's provision. 
There is the demand, I think, of us today to trust our Creator and our Savior more. The Israelites needed to follow the Lord's instructions in order to be sustained and to see the miracle of God's grace. They'd never seen anything like this bread before. When the people saw it, they said, what is it? That's what manna actually means. What is it? (laughs) Got the nickname manna, that's the Hebrew word. And Moses told them, it's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. Now, if you're wondering what manna is, it's a a kind of sweet um, substance secreted from insects, we think. It infest, they infested the tamarisk bushes. And what would happen is that this secretion would drop to the ground uh, in the morning. It would cool off and set. But then when the scorching sun came, it would melt away again, so it would disappear. So you couldn't keep it. In other words, the bread couldn't be used for the next day. It was given for the moment. And if we'd read on, I'm going to read this very quickly, this is what the Lord had commanded, each one is to gather as much as they need, take an omer for each person that you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told, some gathered in much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Each one had gathered as much as they needed. And then Moses told them, no one is to keep any of it until the morning. However, some paid no attention to Moses. And they kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. And so the story goes on. And of course, when I heard this story... You can't help but think of other passages in the Bible when Jesus taught his disciples, give us our daily bread. Or saying, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. Who believes in me will never be thirsty. We think of Jesus feeding the large crowd, taking what was offered by a small boy and everybody being satisfied with what was given to them in that moment. Now all of these scriptures, in all of them, everyone was given what they needed for the moment. Even though it might not have been thought what they wanted at that time. And it's interesting that our vice president, when she unpacked this, she linked it with the passage that we had from Acts of the Apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold their property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Not what they necessarily wanted, but who had need. And Jill Baker spoke of the people of God not hoarding up God's provision. To gather what had been given and to use it. And she said we have to learn from Ananias and Sapphira. Do you remember in Acts chapter 5 who suddenly died after they lied to the Holy Spirit about what they had been given? They trusted in what they had rather than in God's provision for their lives. Our needs are supplied out of God's grace. 
out of His deep love for us, not by our merit. The question is, to the people of God, with all the challenges that we have, the people called Methodist, is will we trust our God in these days? Will we listen to what He's saying to us in these changing times? Or will we just rest on the traditions of the past? I believe that we're called to be passionate and generous as a church. At this challenging time, perhaps rather like when they found the the manna and they said, what is it? We need to ask, what is it? I'm not talking about the bread on our lawn in the mornings that's probably fallen off the bird table. I'm talking about asking about what we hold in trust from the Lord and say, what is it that God has given to us? And for what purpose? In this church, we are blessed with resources because of the ingenuity of the company. Remember, this church may have closed at one point because there wasn't enough money to repair the roof. And yet, through imagination, we managed to find a way of actually sustaining this building, but also funding the mission. We thank God for the work of the company. We wouldn't be able to do what we are doing here without it. But we are blessed. And we must use those resources, not just for ourselves, but to resource the wider Methodist church. And that's something that Martin Atkins, Keener, and I feel passionately about. That we need to be resourcing other churches as well as our own to grow. There was a challenge at conference that churches, yes, have to have contingency reserves, as asked to by the charity commissioners, but we mustn't sit on larger resources that we're saving for a rainy day because it's raining, it's pouring, and we need to actually be looking at the resources of the Methodist church and actually using them for the kingdom investing them in people to carry out God's work today, investing in our young people particularly. And if we don't ask, what is it? How about asking the question, what is going on? How will God supply our needs in the future? What is it that we must do to live obediently so that we may discover even more deeply, I am the Lord your God? So I've come away from Methodist Conference not being totally depressed, yes, heartbroken at what we've hear, but I've come back galvanized. This church, I believe we should never lose a vision of this church being full. And that's not up to me and to other ministers, it's up to you. We need to be inviting people to come to this place to share in our fellowship. We are the ones who need to be telling people about our Lord and Savior, sharing what we have with them, sharing our resources, using our imaginations. There was actually a notice of motion at conference which was adopted that said, we need Methodist members to be enthusiastic in prayer and acts of personal evangelism. The Methodist churches are to direct their work and wealth to make the priority of making you disciples. Methodist circuits are to resource the forming of new Methodist societies where possible to offer witness and worship in new places or in places where the Christian presence has long diminished. 
Methodist districts are to include disciple-making as a priority in their forthcoming synods. I find that encouraging, that we're really getting to grips with it, and it will be down to us to do something about it. There were also two other encouraging notices of motion about furthering the mission of the Methodist Church, and I was a personal supporter of a notice of motion to call for a day of prayer and fasting, where the church really longs with a sense of brokenness before God to say, Lord, how can we depend more on you and discover what you have for us to do? And there was a a very humbling time at conference. We prayed today in our Methodist handbook for Brazil. A young Brazilian girl came up to say, what you've heard today is not the whole picture. The Methodist church in Brazil is growing phenomenally. And they offered to pray for us and to help us in our mission. And globally, the Methodist church is growing 80 million members. And we need in humility to learn from the world church. And I believe God's work is alive and well. And we don't have to worry about it. It's his work, not our work. All we have to be is faithful and open to the leading of the Spirit. I'll bring him to an end now because our Acts reading, if we'd used a different translation, would have talked day by day, the disciples continued with one mind in the temple, breaking the bread from house to house. They were making their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so our president and vice president have taken that theme day by day, living each day. They've given us a little cube. I'm sure when they visit, they'll give it to us. And they've talked about a five today, five things to do every day. Day by day, the Lord added to their number. So this is my cry as I come back from conference. Let us carry on being obedient disciples of Christ. Let us not be dismayed at a church in decline, but let's be galvanized into action and work with others in the connection and support them too. Let's serve the present age and not always be looking back to the glories of the past because they weren't always so glorious, although sometimes they were. Let's also use what we've been given and not store it up. Let's take risks. Sometimes they may not work, but unless we take risks in these challenging days, we could even see decline creeping into our church. And may his kingdom of love and peace and justice come on earth as it is in heaven as we play as our part as individuals and as an inclusive diverse local church which should also be a resourcing methodist cathedral for methodism to god be the glory and day by day may we play our part amen